Good morning, Playbookers. I'm Zach Stanton, Playbook's Deputy Editor. It's Friday, April 7th. So the big things I'm watching today start in Tennessee, where last night the Republican supermajority in the state house voted to expel two Democratic members for siding with protesters who interrupted a floor session while demonstrating in favor of gun control reforms. This, of course, came in the aftermath of last week's mass shooting at Nashville's Covenant School. It's sort of the latest example we've seen of this extreme hardball politics uh, that Republicans are playing at the state level. You know, just this week in North Carolina, a Democratic member of the state house flipped their party, becoming a Republican and giving the Republican Party a veto-proof majority in the state assembly, uh, which will enable them to go around the Democratic governor in the state. Uh, also this week in Wisconsin, uh, the liberals sort of really celebrated their victory in the Supreme Court election. There was a Republican in a state Senate race there who won and will be showing up in Madison. And in so doing, he's giving the Republican Party there a supermajority and raising the possibility that they could actually use that supermajority to impeach the state's new Supreme Court justice and restore a conservative majority to the state Supreme Court. And what we're seeing at the state level is really a microcosm of this dynamic that's playing out all across the country, where these state fights become national flashpoints. Which brings us actually to Gavin Newsom, the governor of California and Democrat, widely seen as a potential presidential candidate in four years' time, who this week visited Ron DeSantis's home turf to voice his opposition to the Republican governor's takeover of the new college of Florida. Um, you can read more about that from my colleagues, Lara Cordy and Jeremy White, who have a story up this morning about Newsom's red state tour, which is putting him sort of smack dab in the center of these culture wars. Meanwhile, in Washington, Democratic members of the Senate Judiciary Committee are suggesting the need for oversight in the wake of ProPublica's explosive report on Clarence Thomas and his friendship with a conservative billionaire who has gifted the Thomases with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of travel expenses and various amenities over the years. While on the House side, there are signs of a sort of due unsteadiness in Kevin McCarthy's leadership as he struggles to stare down the debt crisis. The New York Times reported on Thursday that McCarthy has told his colleagues and allies that he finds Steve Scalise, the Republican majority leader, ineffective, checked out, and reluctant to take a position on anything. That is something that you're going to want to watch in the weeks to come. It was a huge week for news, and I wouldn't blame if you here on Friday morning have a bit of a news hangover. And what is better for a hangover, news or otherwise, but a bagel. <laughs> Joining me to discuss that is Sam Stein, a politics editor and our local Washington, D.C. bagel aficionado. Yeah, I mean, most people probably, when they think of their culminating act of journalism, the thing they'll be defined for, it's, you know, exposing some corruption, taking down a president. <laughs> Bagels is where my true passions are. <laughs> so what was it that uh, led you to uh, latch on to this as an important storyline in American politics? I was in my car. I was driving. And I thought to myself, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about bagels recently. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bagel Caucus on the Hill, and Jeff Science is coming to the White House, and he used to be an investor and call your mother. And I thought to myself, there's a story here. <laughs> and in fact, there is a story here. 
the bagel is the unofficial food of official Washington, D.C. It's everywhere. And I think people who've lived in this district for more than a decade can appreciate how remarkable that is. The bagels in D.C. have been horrific uh, at best. And through a weird combination of business developments and government investments and pressure, we have transformed ourselves into a legitimate bagel hub. I don't think we'll ever say, oh, we're like New York. And, and, and I don't want New Yorkers to listen to this and be like, oh, screw off, Sam. You know, we're not that. But we but we have a legitimate product. You know, sort of the vehicle for this story was um, I got to taste test uh, bagels with uh, Dan Goldman, the congressman who who's, uh, launched the, the Bagel Caucus. And look, I mean, he, he did it for real reasons. Like he, you know, he wanted to bring people together. He thinks it's important to exhibit, you know, this food that is so associated with the uh, Jews and time of anti-Semitism. And I appreciate that. But if he was being honest, I think at some point he was, he's like, look, I like eating bagels. <laughs> this, this is good stuff. You know, you're seeing that in weird ways across the city that people just are, this is what they, and, and the other thing that I will say is that it, it's this rare case where a food industry that actually thrived during the pandemic. I mean, the, the restaurant industry in this city was really hit hard by the pandemic for obvious reasons, but bagels somehow survived. And not only that, they did better. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's both a, a political story, a cultural story and an economic story. We'll leave the bagel discourse there. But one final question to you, Sam, before you go. Is there something that you're watching in politics uh, that you feel like maybe people aren't paying enough attention to or that maybe we should be paying attention to that you think is going to be important either in the weeks, days, months to come? Yes, uh, I'm watching specifically uh, the traffic on my bagel piece to make sure that <laughs> people are really, no, no, I, there, there's something I am actually watching that I think is very, uh, seriously important, which is it's going to go completely unremarked upon because he's not going to materially matter, but Robert Kennedy Jr. is jumping into the democratic primary. Um, no one's going to really vote for Robert Kennedy Jr. No one really thinks he's got a chance anyway, but I do think there's something happening here that we're not fully appreciating in its entire scope, which is the rise of openly vaccine skeptical political figures and political movements. Obviously, he's running as a Democrat. I, you, you already see a lot more of it on the Republican side where, you know, there is agitation, uh, open agitation towards the COVID vaccine boosters, uh, where President Trump having pre, Previously, former President Trump, previously run on the success of Operation Warp Speed, no longer wants to talk about it, where Ron DeSantis won't say whether he got the booster shot. There is a, a real movement underway, unlike anything we've ever seen in politics, that embraces vaccine skepticism. And that will have profound impacts on our public health policies, on our politics writ large. Uh, and I think, you know, the fact that Robert Kennedy Jr. felt compelled enough to jump into the race is the latest sign of the potency of this issue. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. For your schedule today and more reporting, check out Playbook this morning at politico.com slash playbook. I'm Zach Stanton. Thanks for listening.